I'm Mark Nicholson from Picture Partners. Welcome to our latest podcast. Today's guests provide their unique perspectives on COVID lockdowns, plus economic, health and operational issues the pharmacy industry is currently facing. We also explore the vaccinating opportunities which have reinforced pharmacy's value to both government and the community. I hope you enjoy it. Today we welcome John Bronger OAM together with his daughter and business partner Catherine Bronger to the Pitcher Partners podcast. John and his wife Nina are community pharmacists and founded Chemist Works Pharmacy Group based in New South Wales over 40 years ago. Today they proudly run the family owned business with their daughter Catherine and several other business partners. John is a pharmacy industry titan who has filled pivotal roles throughout his distinguished career including over a decade as president of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, a term leading the New South Wales PSA and somewhere in between finding the time to be a member of the Board of Taxation. John is arguably best known for managing the industry's negotiations for the creation of the second, third and fourth community pharmacy agreements. Having successfully managed his business through multiple economic cycles, we're excited to hear John's unique perspective on the current market outlook and economic climate. Catherine appears to be following in her father's footsteps by paving her own outstanding career, managing to juggle community pharmacy ownership with being the current Senior Vice President of the New South Wales Pharmacy Guild, a former National Councillor and recent CPA negotiator, and assisted with the establishment of the pharmacy school at UTS. Catherine is a partner in three pharmacies in Sydney, the 24-hour Chemist Works in Weatherall Park, Edmondson Park and Broadway two of which focus heavily on the development and implementation of professional services. Catherine has won the Young Pharmacist of the Year Award and is a talented business manager who has taken her business to the forefront of innovation within the industry. Catherine is passionate about mentoring young pharmacy students and as a mother of three is a strong advocate for women in leadership and ownership. Welcome John and welcome Catherine. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks Mark, it's a real pleasure. John, how do you see the industry economically now compared to any point over the last 40 years, given many of your contemporaries would argue that today is nowhere near like the good old days? I think that's uh, quite a negative approach. Uh, Certainly, uh, I started in pharmacy about 50 years ago when there was no technology. And uh, while we had good margins then, uh, probably better margins than we've got now, Certainly with the use of technology, we've moved on. We've had periods like uh, when we had 25% markups, uh, which we don't now. We had uh, times when the generics were a bit of a boom time. So, uh, you know, it was less complicated in the early days. And people that don't like complexity, that, uh, you know, find it uh, difficult to understand that we're going to have... Uh, uh, quality systems, it's, it, it's quite different. Uh, they, in the early days, the regulators left us alone. These days, the regulators seem to want to uh, almost control the direction of pharmacy. Um, some regulators, of course, from a government point of view, don't understand the concept of uh, professionals working in a business, in a business format, you know. So it's a uh, it's quite difficult, I think, uh, you know, moving forward for some people, but for others who embrace technology and embrace change, um, I think it's a fantastic period of time. And certainly with the, uh, the ageing population, 
you know, our clientele are just uh, are just growing. So uh, I, I'm really quite positive about the approach. You know, there've been good eras, and uh, but I think the best years are still ahead of us. That's that's excellent to hear, John. And of course, you continue to enjoy your time in pharmacy. We get you there working. Um, today and thank you for that for taking time out for us but uh, part of that enjoyment uh, would come from sharing the family business with your daughter Catherine if I bring you in now Catherine. Catherine you grew up in pharmacy so probably 30 plus years you've got vision on um, on where the industry's been over that time frame. Do you share John's optimistic view um, from where you're at at the moment and um, sort of bringing in what your counterpart's view would be? Oh, look, absolutely. I think there's pretty exciting times ahead for community pharmacy. And I think the pandemic that we're in at the moment, although it's been uh, really difficult and exceptionally tiring, has probably opened up a can of opportunities and progressed the industry uh, forward, which which is exciting. Um, I did grow up under the dispensary. I, I, I remember many Sundays being there and uh, visiting Dad after after church, um, who was working twelve hour shifts in the pharmacy. So, I think there was hard slog in the good old days, just like there is at the moment as well. And I often, you know, I think you you asked Dad that question about the good old days. I often find when you you hear people talking about that, um, it, it tends to be people who you know are. are you know, really haven't embraced, you know, the change that we're seeing coming forward as well. And I think um, what we're finally seeing with with vaccinations coming through community pharmacy is that the scope of practice will dramatically change over the next couple of years. Uh, We're getting remuneration for it. It might not be enough, but we'll actually see some remuneration come through for scope of practice and services uh, with community pharmacies. And we'll see an investment in the change of those, uh, those business models uh, we've also, you know, seeing that technology really has to be part of what's the driving force of community pharmacy in the way that we interact with our customers moving forward as well. And although, you know, it can be a little bit scary, I think there's incredible opportunities uh, to really get some efficiencies in community pharmacy and then utilise our, our pharmacists as clinical experts um, and really leverage Uh, the industry forward. Arguably that scope of change has been assisted somewhat by um, the pandemic and pushing pharmacists forward to play a role in um, rolling out vaccinations. That challenge of COVID is no no doubt making businesses and owners more resilient. John, can you liken anything that um, of the past to what we're going through now regarding operational challenges that have shifted the industry? No, no, I can't in operational. I, I can when governments tried to make some substantial changes to our economic base, like uh, back in the late 80s when they tried to, uh, to cut our funding dramatically. But uh, I think COVID's made pharmacy because it really shows the resilience of pharmacy to stay open while everyone was sh- shutting, while doctors were doing their business over the phone, we're up dealing with the public. I think it, it's shown that pharmacy is a uh, is a profession and a business structure that can handle the res- resilience of bad times. 
Catherine, do you see that in a change of customer attitudes and, and also um, if it's going to be a systemic sort of shift uh, for pharmacy, then what are you doing inside the pharmacy guild, et cetera, to try and capitalise on that going forward? Yeah, look, I think uh, community pharmacy has always had an inherent trust from the local community. I think the reason why there is that inherent trust is if you look at any community pharmacy uh, throughout Australia, uh, the pharmacists that work and the workforce that work within that community pharmacy are an absolute reflection of that community. Uh, whether they speak different languages, like our pharmacies in southwest Sydney, um, who have been right in the centre of this pandemic. Um, and what we've actually seen with the rollout of immunisation is that this inherent trust can help get across things like the vaccination hesitancy as well. And I think there's a, probably a lack of realisation from the health policy um, you know, departments around what this inherent trust looks like and how it can be utilised to get uh, really good health outcomes for Australians in general and how that can be extended and the investment that needs to be made across the network in order for that to happen. I think the scope of practice change that we've seen through vaccinations come through and the remuneration for this service is an important step. Uh, we certainly know that um, throughout internationally across different countries, that scope of practice comes, you know, first, um, and then that is developed into other areas. So I, I think that community pharmacy will come immunisation centres really quickly. We certainly know that community pharmacy will play a huge role in booster shots that come through, but I think that'll be extended then to the administration of, of drugs, not just the delivery of drugs. It certainly, it certainly, in my opinion, would be better value for government to do the immunisation through pharmacy and scrap the hubs. The hubs are huge cost centres and pharmacy already had the infrastructure spread throughout the community to deliver the whole immunisation program if they'd been given adequate funding to do it. Interestingly, John, do, is that a function of just not having enough um, vaccines to push out to all of those different points that it, it so, had to be so so um, tightly controlled? I think the hub was a contract. I think the hubs really gave a, gave a, a sense of crowds of people going through this hub and they were doing something when they had low volumes of vaccine. So it was a good photo opportunity. Absolutely. I'm, I mean, it's very pleasing we've got to the right end point. You're listening to the Picture Partners podcast series. I'm Mark Nicholson, and today I'm in conversation with John Bronger and his daughter, Catherine Bronger. Ironically, if you like, the, the pandemic opportunity, if we want to present it um, like that in terms of at least systemic change, has come at a period where interest rates are at record lows. So the the business background setting has been quite good. Some pharmacies are able to borrow at less than 2% at present. Um, Capitalisation rates are um, probably at record lows, meaning that prices of pharmacies are, are record highs. But uh, what that means is that borrowing rates ultimately have only got one way to go, and we're seeing US uh, inflation rates going up and uh, discussion around when the the interest rates move over there and how long an interest rate rise is away, I'm not sure, but inevitably um, the next move will be up. 
If I sort of turn to you, John, um, you've had a long time watching interest rates move in, in your business. How exposed do you think the industry is to um, a movement of a couple of percent in interest rates? Well, I, I think some, uh, some certainly some groups, um, you know, will have difficulty with the rise in the interest rates. I think they're starting close to the wind in their borrowings. But uh, it's a very interesting thing is how government will view the pharmacy industry because, uh, you know, there is that concept that maybe they'll look at specialised funding to maintain this network. So it might be really an interesting thing if, uh, say, there was a, a large increase in, uh, in, in um, interest rates it may, uh, it may lead to the government saying, well, we really need this pharmacy infrastructure. You know, uh, can we contribute towards its existence? Catherine, are any of your contemporaries contemplating what um, the future might hold in terms of an increase in cost around interest rates or wages, or is it the furthest thing from their thoughts at the moment? No, look, I mean, I think there's a lot of thoughts that goes in as small business owners, um, particularly in the, the, the pandemic where at, in different areas you can be, you know, st- stretched. Certainly pharmacists that have, you know, overcapitalised in CBD centres or large shopping centres that haven't been able to get the um, drops in leases that they would have otherwise liked are probably starting to hurt and are probably thinking, well, what happens um, if these, you know, interest rates start to, to rise in, in the future as well, and what does that look for, for my business and, and, and also how the population then spreads back in and, and will, the, um, will the business actually come back to those certain locations? But I, I do also think that um, there actually may be uh, a shift you know, if there is overcapitalisation and some of these groups and the prices that we've seen of pharmacy um, in recent times, there may be an area for movement um, in the future. And I think what what we really have to look at as an industry is how do we uh, support a lot of the, the young pharmacists uh, into ownership uh, if that movement's going to occur. So they've got good sustainable businesses um, that can support uh, the interest rates going into the future as well. What's your advice, I guess both of you, um, John, firstly, towards younger pharmacists and uh, their ambitions towards ownership? Well, Mark, I, my opinion is quite simple. There's got to be an in, a way of valuing pharmacy that allows younger pharmacists with lack of assets access to capital to purchase these businesses. So there's got to be a, a, a non-traditional bank approach to finding funding for these young pharmacists who uh, to take a greater position in the industry. I mean, and I know that the Guild has looked at this from time to time, but I think it's becoming more important. The other thing is that certainly the regulation bodies are looking at ownership oversight and they're saying, do these consolidator groups uh, have the full oversight of the business as would be expected if you had a working owner. Catherine, 
you would be tapped in from both a guild perspective and um, your peer perspective. Um, what are your thoughts? Oh, look, I, I think then anything that we can do to get the next generation of owners uh, into pharmacy, we should be uh, doing. I mean, I, I, and, and I agree with what uh, Dad said. I don't always agree with him, but I agree with what he just <laughs> he just said then. Look, I, I actually think that or it's a generational thing as well. I actually think that uh, a lot of the young pharmacists that I see, uh, I see them running good businesses. I see good managers, good young pharmacists, and I think, well, why haven't you stepped into ownership as well? And I, I'm a big advocate not only for uh, young owners, but also to see a lot more of uh, the female owners uh, come through. And so I'm certainly, uh, through mentoring a lot of these young pharmacists coming in, I think they've just got to get in uh, and take the risk very early in their careers. One of the positives that it appears to me for young pharmacists is that anecdotally, the industry um, seems to be facing a pharmacist shortage and wages are starting to grow. So growing wages might sort of drag more pharmacists back into the industry. Um, but if I remember back, John, to the, the late 90s, um, that pharmacist shortage, as it, especially when it got outside of the capital cities, um, tended to translate into older owners um, deciding to sell and get out because they're of the difficulty to attract a pharmacist or attract a pharmacist at a reasonable rate and therefore those increased hours um, sort of pushed them to the decision of selling. Do you, sen do you sense that that's um, a... A growing issue at the at present. Yes, yes, and no. In some areas, um, look, I, I think the main problem with the wages is that the the PBS is underpriced to to generate good income for pharmacists in the industry. So the government over the last few years has got a pretty good deal out of pharmacy, and you can see it with the. Uh, with the immunisation we're doing now, we're doing immunisation at a discount rate for the government. So the government is not paying the full freight for us to immunise. If we had full freight to immunise, then we could pay our pharmacists substantially more. Now, having said that, we've got pharmacists that work for us that are very skilled in, in multiple areas, with multiple scopes of practice. And... Uh, and we have no trouble paying them very good wages and no trouble in retaining them. Uh, but, uh, you know, a pharmacist these days uh, that, that uh, works in our pharmacy, we look for them to have the abilities and skills to help grow the business. You're listening to the Picture Partners podcast series. I'm Mark Nicholson, and today I'm in conversation with John Bronger and his daughter, Catherine Bronger. John, it was, it's heartening to hear that you're positive towards um, what you might be able to or what the Guild might be able to leverage um, in the next agreement through the positive relations that have been built up since uh, the commencement of COVID. And it's probably one of the, the real positives is the um, improvement of relationship there with, with government. Um, is that something that the 
industry should feel comfortable about or should they always be uncomfortably comfortable um, moving into a, an agreement negotiation? Totally uncomfortable. Totally, totally uncomfortable. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> from my experience, when things seem to be going right, it's the right time to panic. Uh, when things are going uh, uh, unusual, then, then you can be calm because... Uh, Pharmacy has shown it can adapt so quickly that uh, when there's a bit of broken play, as I say, pharmacy usually does quite well. Uh, to have a good relationship with the government means that the government have duchessed you and uh, think they've got you under control. If you're predictable in dealing with government, then you, you receive no benefit from them. Um, I think we've got to understand that... Uh, you know, as they say, I'm from the government and I'm here to help is is not the way that it works in real life. Catherine, you mentioned before that you have some different views sometimes to John. How are you aligned in relation to the future risks and opportunities and where pharmacy owners should be investing, whether it's people, infrastructure, etc.? Well... Look, I think Dad could be a little bit unpredictable at times in different leadership positions as well, and I don't think that uh, is necessarily a, a bad thing when it comes to um, negotiations uh, with the government. Look, I, I think to, to touch on that point that you, you said before, I, I think that we haven't really seen the full value of where we've been able to assist the, the government in um in most recent times, uh, through the bushfires, through medicine shortages and these vaccinations. I think that uh, there may be good relationships at the moment, but I don't think that the the value uh, to what community pharmacy has done has been, been realised. So I certainly hope that, um, you know, that in the future sort of you know, investments in, in, in pharmacy, that we, we see some of that um, value realised in terms of the future projections and the scope of practice moving uh, moving forward. Um, and, look, I, I think, um, you know, it's quite controversial, but certainly within our own organisation, I see uh, technology as being a, a huge piece uh, in, in the future. I, I, one thing that I've seen is, um, you know, community pharmacies have been absolutely ensuring that every Australian has access to medication throughout this pandemic from the very beginning for well over a year and a half at the moment. So what that looks like in terms of the move towards electronic prescriptions, what that moves in terms of image prescribing and these workflow changes that we've been able to adapt very swiftly with, um, and also how it means in terms of those patients still getting their medication from their local pharmacy, even though... Um, they haven't walked through the door. John, how homogenous do you think the industry is in relation to the changing conditions, whether it be economic or trading or um, as Catherine um, spoke so well on in, in terms of that required investment and change process in IT? Do you think that there are risk lines there between different types of pharmacies, whether it be as simple as those with high debt or low debt and you can't make the investment or whether it's shopping centre or non-shopping centre, city, regional, uh, uh, et cetera. Do you, do you see any lines that you wouldn't want to be on one side of or that are a higher risk because you are on that side? 
Oh, look, I think you could have an attitude that there are different ways pharmacies being practiced. But I think one of the great things is that the uh, the government and the PBS and the uh, and the new uh, extensions of practice, uh, full scope of practice, are forcing a lot of hom homogenous behaviour in pharmacy. I think that the industry is moving in one direction, really, no matter where they are. I think there's an interesting uh, attitude. Uh, I spoke to pharmacists years ago and they were talking about discounting to attract customers and, uh, and they were talking about uh, how to position their businesses, uh, whether they are super pharmacists or small pharmacists or extended hours or country or city. And there was this whole discussion where everyone thought they owned a business in a certain sector. But when it all came down to it, there were those pharmacists that looked after their customers and patients and those that didn't. So I just think that the homogenous nature of pharmacy that really works is developing solid relationships um, with your patients, customers, family by family, person by person, group by group, is a thing that has lasted over the 50 years that I've been practising in pharmacy that really works. Now, it's a ter terrific retail message there, John. From your perspective, Catherine, do you see any um, other potential issues pharmacies are going to need to navigate in the future, positive or negative? Oh, look, I think I think any industry at the moment's got some inherent risk, you know, associated uh, with it. I think uh, more than ever, we're, we're really not sure uh, what the future lies. Who, who knew that the that the that the high, you know, that I mean, we've got pharmacies in very large shopping centres and who knew that overnight um, there wouldn't be a shop opened in that centre other than the supermarket and us Um and, you know, there's, there's huge uh, risk associated. It. And I think as we start to climb out of this pandemic and uh, look at different opportunities and the consumer habits have changed, I think there's some um, inherent risk that if we don't continue, I, I think pharmacy has been fairly nimble to address the changes regardless of, of, of where they are located. And I think we need to not be complacent moving on to the future and, and continue to use that nimbleness John, I'll probably uh, leave you to have the last word here, but after 50-plus years in pharmacy and you're still going strong and um, clearly working today, then you remain positive for the future and enjoying the, the ongoing change. Um, what advice or messages of reassurance do you have for both today's owners and future owners? Oh, look, I, Mark, I think it's really simple. And I've kind of said it a few times, but the population is ageing. So our customer patient base is increasing. And it's an interesting uh, ageing population uh, compared to what we dealt with years ago. The population wants to stay, uh, they wanted to stay alive, they want to stay active, they want to do things. You know, uh, the opportunity for pharmacists to get involved in major disease states, which are pandemics in their own, like diabetes. And then there's uh, areas like sleep apnea are only just opening up. 
and uh, uh, to a certain extent, we might get in a little bit of a, a hassle with some other professional healthcare groups, but we've got to stick to our game and uh, increase our scope of practice. And uh, if we increase our scope of practice in a, a, uh, a potential customer base that's growing, well, it's, it's only, I can only see upside. But that's if the economy is good. But what we've also demonstrated that this pharmacy creature that we live in is very resilient to when the times are bad. And an industry that can survive in bad times really is worth substantially more than a fair-weathered business structure. And I think that's the thing with pharmacy. So pharmacists sometimes sit in their own pharmacies and get a little negative from time to time, but they should be really saying, well, if there's these wonderful old folk out there in their 70s like me, can't we just love them and look after them a little better? Because and if we keep them alive longer, they'll be a really faithful and loyal customer base. I don't think it's rocket science in our future. I think it's to just take advantage of demographics and make sure we love our customer base to death. Until until death. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Love Thanks. them until Thanks. death. <laughs> John and Catherine, let me thank you again for your time this afternoon. Your insight from um, two different perspectives are very much the same and aligned and spell really a, a very rosy future for an industry that can and is very adept at navigating um, difficult waters. So um, wish you all the best of luck in the future and thanks again. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you, Mark. You've been listening to the Pitcher Partners podcast series. I'm Mark Nicholson from Pitcher Partners. Pitcher Partners.